Hello, and welcome back to The Blend Sessions with me, Theo van den Broeke, and I'm your host for a series of conversations on culture, recorded with Chivas Regal blended Scotch whisky at their bar in East London. Each week, we bring together two creative minds to talk about how collaboration and the blending of different skills have shaped their work and been the key to their success. The discussions cover art, photography, food, fashion and literature, and are an inspiring, informative look at how the creative process works in these worlds. This week's conversation on culture brings together two of this country's most interesting writers and looks at how careers in acting and magazines gave them the skills, impetus and ideas needed to take on the world of literature. David Nichols is the best-selling author behind the likes of One Day and Start of a Ten, who has worked across screenwriting, adaptations, TV and film. Joining him on stage was Camilla Way, a former magazine hack who turned her journalistic nose for a story, forensic approach to research and upbringing in South London into a series of creepy, critically acclaimed psychological thrillers. Most recently, the transatlantic hit Watching Edie. They talked about learning to write in different forms, how writers actually work, and how failing in one world can help you succeed in another. So sit back and enjoy David Nichols and Camilla Way recorded live in conversation with Shivas Regal Scotch Whiskey in episode six of The Blend Sessions. I touched a little bit in my introduction about how you both come from slightly different backgrounds, as I'm sure most people who write novels do. How did you find your way into novel writing and has it been an easy journey? Who would like to go first? Okay, I'll go first. <laughs> um, I, well, I worked for magazines first, but on the editing side of things. And But I'd always wanted to write a novel, so I just started doing it in my spare time, evenings at weekends, chipping away at it. So you were, you were still working at the magazine? Yeah, I was working full-time. Was that very difficult? Uh, kind of, but I was a sub-editor, so I wasn't writing in a journalistic kind of way, so I was rewriting other people's copies, so it was quite... And keeping people to deadlines and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, shouting at writers. <laughs> which is, <laughs> Get their stuff in on time, yeah. Which is useful if you're writing a novel, I imagine. That's yeah, a skill you'd think have. I'd be good at sticking to deadlines, but <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> and David? It was sort of very protracted. I mean, I haven't been doing it that long. I didn't start writing full-time until I was 31, 32 and that's heartening uh yeah no i mean it's so really it wasn't as even as if there were sort of 10 years worth of manuscripts i just kind of most of the things i've done have sort of come out of failure bouncing back from some terrible disaster and i was a very bookish kid but i didn't imagine that you could actually be a writer but i used to as well as reading a lot of books i used to watch a lot of tv and films and i I gradually kind of got suckered into acting, thinking that maybe acting was the way to, to get involved in characters and stories and that kind of thing. So I studied theatre and English at university and, and then spent 12 years trying to act, and I had a lot of time off. Wow, 12 years. Yeah. And I just couldn't... <laughs> I didn't mean to diminish it, so... It was a real waste of, of time, except <laughs> that it gave me a lot of time. I mean, I, I think in the 12 years I committed to acting, I probably was on stage employed for maybe four of them so there was a lot of time working in bars and and bookshops and doing a lot of sort of doing a lot of reading a lot of thinking and a lot of um script reading i started working as a script reader for various theaters and film companies just assessing the material Mm. and then i moved from that into script editing and then gradually took a deep breath not until i was about 28 29 and started to write down some of the stories I used to tell people, some of the anecdotes I used to tell people. And friends of mine who used to come and see me in plays used to say, oh, well done, and have you ever thought about writing? <laughs> and, and so gradually I, I sort of took that sideways step. And because I was a script editor, I was lucky uh, to have people who would read my stuff mm. and a couple of scripts that I wrote on spec got read. And then I got my first 
script writing job when I was 29. And um, so it took a long, long time. Mm. And then you wrote your first novel when you were how old? Well, again, I, I, I worked on Cold Feet and that went really well. I, worked, I didn't write many episodes. I wrote four episodes of Cold Feet and the show was a big smash, a big phenomenon. And I got my own show. I got two shows of my own, mm. uh, one for the BBC, one for ITV. And they both flopped terribly. <laughs> they were both disasters. Not disasters, they were good shows, but they didn't get big audiences. And I went very quickly from being, you know, a kind of very employable writer to an unemployable writer. And I had, again, some spare time. And I, I'd always wanted to write about the experience of going to university. And there was a golden rule in television at that time and in film, in British film, which is you can't write about students. Mm. And why? why? Because... Um, I mean, of course, there are lots of examples. There were, there, mm. when, I used, when I was a script editor and you go to see broadcasters, there were sort of various forbidden areas, journalism, acting, and students. Because with all three, it's considered that the stakes aren't high enough. You know, a student doesn't have to be a student. An actor doesn't have to be an actor. Actors, you know, actors, of course, they're going to be unemployed. Where's the dilemma? Where's the stress? Where's the yeah. urgency? And, of course, there are lots of examples now which, which show that not necessarily to be the mm. case. But... A lot of the things I wanted to write about in script form, no one wanted to commission. And I started to make notes, possibly for a one-man show or you know, possibly for some other form, and gradually realized that it was a sort of, it was a first-person novel, mm. and I developed that. But I was very nervous about the idea of sitting down and writing a novel. I don't know how you felt about it, but it felt quite a kind of, not pretentious, but a... a, a, it's a, a yeah, arrogant, yeah. I mean, there's so much great fiction out there. Why would anyone read something you've got to say. Mm. So there was a, definitely a kind of hurdle of confidence that I had to overcome. Well, also, I guess that I'd be interested to hear about this from both of you. In terms of confidence, you know, you, you've said you'd come back from a lot of failure, you know, and you've got a lot of success. How do you overcome that feeling of fear that must come with that failure? You know, that must really drag you down at points. Um, yeah, it is terrible. But at the same time, I kind of, you know, I've had things... Uh, several things that haven't worked out quite the way I wanted and and it's miserable and then you lie around and you moan and you feel sorry for yourself and then you you know you get on with it and try again because I think whilst it's very fright I find you know a film being released or something being on the television or book being published very scary and stressful at the same time you know you have to remind yourself that it's happening and that mm. it's a great privilege to have your stuff produced or printed and and that, um, you know, your great good luck is bound to be outweighed by critical voices. And you have to, you have to if you want one, you have to take the other. Mm. And, and so, you know, there have been ups and downs, but I, but I really love it. And I, I would never want to, to stop. Do you think there's much credence, and I guess I'm going to be lovely to hear from you on this, that to the old adage that everyone has a book in them? Everyone might have a book in them, but whether it's particularly good... I was hoping you'd say that. Another yeah. thing. Um, I don't know. Every, there's that kind of cliche that you should write about what you know, mm. um, which I don't really agree with. I think you should just be able to write to make other people think that you've experienced it or you know about it. But that's quite interesting, because obviously a lot of the, the, the books that you've written, mm. um, I've just finished watching ED, which I thoroughly enjoyed, um, they, they've been based on stories that haven't happened to you, but you've read about them, and they're kind of true crime scenarios that you've kind um, yeah, of loosely... Yeah, not really, kind you know, of inspired by. Inspired so, um, by. So, yeah, kind of, just, um, yeah, I wouldn't say they're actually based on no, actual true crime. I guess I'm in interested to know, like... It, 
at being a journalist and coming yeah. from a journalist background and reading these stories, mm. w what compelled you to write them in novel form? Um, no, I've never been, <coughs> I've never wanted to write journalistic writing. Um, mm. I, as I said, I come from an editing background, so I'm kind of happier being by myself and making things up. How much of um, you is there in Douglas in Us? In I Us, think. yeah, that, that, that's the latest novel, and he is a slightly anxious, neurotic. Uh, character and I don't know it's a combination of it's a bit like acting you know sometimes when you're an actor you want to show your range and you want to portray something someone who's nothing like you so you have those sort of latex you get the latex mask and the, the accent and the, the bulk out or whatever you get very skinny and you try and do something that you don't normally want to do and uh, you, you're not normally expected to do and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and I think uh, even though all of the books, I've, none of the books I've written I describe as autobiographical, but they've all had a kind of catalyst in my real life, you know, whether it was the experience of arriving at university and feeling a bit out of place or failing as an actor or reaching 40 and looking back at the previous 20 years, which was one day, or with us, family. I'd never really written about family. So often the things I, the things I, I, I write, I write because I haven't written them before and because... They don't come naturally. It's what you were saying about write what you don't know. So I did want to write someone who was a bit older than me, mm. someone who uh, was a scientist. You know, a lot of the characters I'd written before then were actors, writers, people who worked in television, people who worked in the arts, and I wanted to write about a completely different world that I didn't know about. And yet at the same time, like an actor, you, you have a kind of essential quality, a voice or an outlook on the world or a sense of humour or a rhythm to your speech that tends to come out in the writing so there is a bit of me in Douglas. Mm. And it's written in the first person. And I don't know how you feel about this, but when you write in the first person, it's a bit like, for me anyway, it's a bit like improvising as an actor. It's a bit like getting into character, deciding who your parents were and how, what music you like and how you dress and your routine when you get up in the morning and becoming that character, if this doesn't sound too pretentious, and writing it down, getting into the, that voice. And when I was writing that book in the first person, I did find myself in everyday life using Douglasisms and becoming quite kind of <laughs> Douglas, someone who's quite kind of neurotic and anxious and self-conscious and says the wrong thing. And, you know, so there, there are bits of that in me. Yeah. But it's always exaggerated and it's always distorted. And even though I would, all the books I've written, I would have had, I, I had to write in that order and I recognise there are things in, in them that are drawn from real experience. But I've never really used... I wouldn't say, for instance, have an, an argument with my kids and go and write it down, okay. or an argument with my partner and write it down. I, I rarely use... I rarely base characters on real-life people. I rarely steal from real life. But there's a fundamental truth in all of the books that is, has an autobiographical element. In other words, every word is made up and... It's all so true. Yeah. Uh, so it's a strange kind of hybrid of, of dis distorted, a heavily distorted reality. In terms of the literature that's um, kind of influenced both of you and had impacts on both of you, I, I read a lovely piece that you'd written, I think, for The Guardian about PJ Kavanagh and yeah. The Perfect Stranger. Yeah. It'd be great if you could tell everyone a little bit about what that influence that book had on you. Simply that book. Well, maybe, and also yeah. if there were any others that have really kind of had a profound, and then we'll hear from yeah. Camilla after. I mean, everything I've written, I could, I could draw you up a list of all the people I stole from for each book. You know, that, I mean, Start of a Ten is ripped off from Billy Lyre and Rushmore and Great Expectations and uh, uh, Catcher in the Rye and, you know, Us is ripped off from all kinds of things and One Day is stolen from all kinds of things and The Understudy is a 
is a remake of the apartment and it has you know that that, that often I read authors and think how do I steal that tone of voice how do I how do I get the same reaction mm. I mean I think that's what I'm always thinking when I'm reading how has this person managed to do this and how can I do something similar using my words mm. and so everything has had a, a, a whole series of influences often influences from cinema and television as well as influences from other novelists I mean I am influenced a lot by Billy Wilder is as big an influence on me as Charles Dickens mm. so there are, each book does have a set of a kind of playlist if you like of, of things that I've been influenced by this more polite, more polite <laughs> but um uh, one of those i suppose particularly with one day it uh, was a book called the perfect stranger by pj cavana which is a memoir which is a kind of coming of age a classic young man with all kinds of uh, gauche ideas of what he wants to be meeting a perfect stranger and falling in love and it has a very sad ending which which was a big influence on one day. Mm. So uh, someone gave it to me it was one of those moments which you look back and you think am i slightly romanticizing this Am I, you know, re retelling the story retrospectively? But a friend of mine, when I was in the real depths of, of my kind of acting blues, when I really didn't know what I was going to do mm. with my life because I clearly couldn't do this thing that I wanted to do, uh, a friend of mine gave me this book, The Perfect Stranger, said, you should read this. And it's a book about, you know, the blind alleys you pursue in your 20s and the mistakes you make and the, the time you waste. And realizing that wasted time is never entirely wasted and failure always you know you can learn from your failures and and actually you can write about them as well mm. and a lot of the books i've written about are on the theme of failure mm. and someone people making mistakes and kind of redeeming themselves uh so i read this book and was really moved by it and touched by it and and shortly after that made the decision to try and actually go for it and try and write full time so it was one of those books that was a real turning point for me. And there are, you know, there are several of those books that I can't imagine being a writer, you know, without reading those particular books. Mm. Great Expectations, and Tender as the Night, and, and The Perfect Stranger. You know, various books that have, are so ingrained in me and influenced me that I, I can't imagine. I mean, One Day is stolen from, the, the premise of One Day comes from a little passage in Tess of the Durbervilles that I read when I was 16. Mm. I read it and I thought, wow, what an amazing idea. And, you know, 15, more than 15, 20 years later, it was the germ of that novel. I guess you can't remember the passage. Yeah, I can. I, I, I can, but to say it would be, would be a bit of a spoiler. Okay. I hope people haven't read the book. Has everyone uh, read the book? But there's a bit, I mean, I, can, I think I can say enough about it, but there's a bit where Tess is alone and she looks in the mirror and she feels a shiver down her spine and she wonders, she realises that we all have these anniversaries in our lives of events which we do not yet know about. Of anniversaries of forthcoming events. And I thought, God, what an extraordinary idea that every year you live through these anniversaries without knowing. And wouldn't it be good to write about an anniversary without telling the reader what it's an anniversary of? And that was the, that was the starting point. And of course, one day there's nothing like Tess. But, mm. but, um, but if I hadn't read Tess, I wouldn't have been able to write one day. Mm. Camilla, lovely to hear the books that have influenced you. Um, well, I'm very interested in writing about London, and like mm. every book I write is set in South East London, and I try to have it as a, almost as another character in, in the novel. Mm. So I guess I've been influenced by writers who write about London in the way that, that I like. So Patrick Hamilton, who wrote a book called um, Hangover Square, which was set in um, Earl's Court, around Earl's Court, between mm. the wars. 
um, and Graham Greene, how he wrote about Brighton. But uh, <laughs> T.S. Eliot, I really like the poems of T.S. Eliot. A lot of his books, a lot of his poems, are, he writes about London. Um, so I guess they've been quite influential. But as David said, as you, you know, you can read a book that stays with you. From I was forced to read T.S. Eliot's poems as a kid doing my GCSEs, mm. and they've always kind of run through my head in the background. And if I ever get stuck, then you know, writer's block, or whatever, then reading poetry I find really kind of loosens you up and gets you starting again. Yeah. Those early formative books yeah. that are forced on you can actually be quite powerful. Yeah. <laughs> That's good to know. I guess it'd be quite interesting to hear about your process as well. David? Yeah, I mean, there's a, it's a hard one to answer because there's a theory and there's a practice and the, the theory is, you know, that I have an office that I go to every day and work from nine till one, you know, with no internet and just concentrate and write the words and then have, you know, a light lunch and then edit and answer emails till five and do admin and then go home and start again. And you're meant to sort of have a, you know, gin and tonic and then read back what you've written with a pencil in hand and start again the next day. And, you know, theoretically, you do that, you write a thousand words a day and you do that for three months, you have a novel. Yeah. And that's the theory and I, it's never like that at all I mean it's nothing like that it's a mess and it's really <laughs> shameful and full of distraction and, and wasted time and uh, you know because I write scripts al uh, alongside the books that's a very fraught process there are mm. a lot of meetings a lot of arguments a lot of notes coming in endless rolling deadlines you know a, a deadline for a, a novel uh you have a year or nine months or two years whatever you give yourself or whatever you agree with the publisher but with a with the script there are these rolling two-week deadlines to do the next draft the next draft the next draft and you have all these haggling about notes and that's very stressful especially if you're trying to do that alongside a book so at the moment i'm not doing anything else except a book and i have a, a rough idea in my head but the terrible thing about writing a book is it, it doesn't make it you know if you build a ship then hopefully building the next ship is a little easier mm. uh, but that's not the case with the book I, for me anyway I don't I have no more idea how to do it than when I started I mean I have certain techniques and tricks that I tend to stick to I don't write it until I know the whole arc mm. I have two documents one is a kind of notebook which I'm allowed to write any old rubbish in and the other is the manuscript right and the manuscript is maintained and precise and, and edited and the the notebook is is trashy and I never I never cut and paste from the notebook to the manuscript. I always rewrite, I always print out and rewrite because rewriting, editing on screen is um, quite hypnotic. It's very hard mm. to keep a critical mind when you're reading something on screen and it looks really good and it looks like it could be printed. So I ensure that it doesn't look like a finished book, you know, that it's in a courier or, or you know, in a typeface that wouldn't work as a finished like book. playing tricks on yourself. Yeah, yeah. All, these tri all these ridiculous tricks. Mm. You know, I have internet blocking software, which I can override, but I, 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 I had to get uh, Hannah, my partner, to put a secret code in so that I couldn't delete Freedom, the internet blocking software, off my phone. Because you think, well, I've written for two hours. Surely I can just have a look on Facebook. And, and then that's it. And then you've lost an hour. And I have this ridiculous paraphernalia to force me to actually just get on and write mm. and after one day you know I had a terrible time I, I, it's sort of I, I, I'm wary of the idea of writer's block this idea that you kind of lose this ability because I think if you have a story mm. and you're a writer you should be able to just get on and write it but I didn't really have a story I didn't really have anything to write about and I was so distracted in the aftermath of one day that I just couldn't 
clear my head. I, 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 was, I was still publicizing the book three years after it came out, and I just couldn't get these people out of my head. Mm. So I had a terrible time where I was trying, you know, constantly writing, in, uh, try writing in the morning, try writing late at night, try writing sober, try writing drug, try writing against the clock, <laughs> try using words, try using pages, try using, you know, all these, all these absurd, well, maybe a pen, or maybe it needs to be a pencil, or maybe you need a new mo- notebook. And all this stuff, all these ridiculous um, tricks to disguise the fact that I just didn't have a story. Mm. And I spent a good year writing uh, a book and at the end of the year, I handed it into my agent, and it was only 30,000 words, which for a year's work is really scandalous. Mm. And I'd been doing other things, but it was, it was nothing. It wasn't a year's work. And I handed it in just before Christmas, and we met in January and talked for about an hour and then threw it away. And wow. the following year, I started again. How does it feel throwing something like that away, that amount of work? Actually, for a couple of hours, terrible. And then a couple of days later, huge relief. Mm. I think, because if you know in your heart that it is never going to fly, uh, you know, it would be much, much more painful to publish the thing, to yeah. be honest, and then spend years talking about something you don't really believe in and don't really like. I mean, yeah. that would have been terrible. So it was one of those sort of crashed prototypes that then enabled you to write, that hopefully enables you to write the thing that flies. But it was, it was uh, the wasted time was terrible, and that sense of fear and panic and, my God, I can't do this anymore. Nerve-wracking. Um, mm. But I'm relieved in retrospect because I think if my, my publishers never saw it and if they'd seen it, they would have had notes, but they would have also been quite keen to publish. Because right. um, anything by you will have a value. In... Uh, well, I think they would have, it would have been too long. You know, I think mm. it is sometimes quite important to keep momentum going in a writing career because they do you know, fluctuate more than that. that. If you've had a book that's done well, the chances of the next, well, the next book is not going to do as well. Mm. And I'd never written with that on my shoulder, you know, sitting down every day thinking, well, let's do another thousand words of this disappointing follow-up. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would probably be very interesting to hear how the process of translating your work, your mind, your creation into film that suddenly you have... Well, I imagine very little control over it. Um, is that correct? Like, how, how does yeah. that work? How I mean, do you negotiate that? It feels that? a bit like, um, so of the four books, I've written screenplays of the first three and someone else is writing the fourth one because I find it just too painful. Mm. As a novelist, you're in charge of everything. There's no one else there. You know, mm. there's no one else to, to defer to. So you decide how they speak and how long it is and, and when the scene ends and you decide what the jokes are and you decide if there's music in the background, you decide everything. Mm. And when you, you take on the role of screenwriter, you have to share that responsibility out. And, and it can be exhilarating and fun and great, and it can also be really maddening. So it's a very tricky process. And also, you know, the, 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 to read any of those, even a short novel aloud, to take six or seven hours to put it on screen when you're actually expanding time mm. in lots of ways, you have to hack and hack and hack, and that's really brutal. And the latest novel, Us... We're actually doing for television precisely for that reason, oh, really? because you just get a little bit more time. And um, the, the role of the writer in television is a little different to that of mm. film. I mean, we all could name a couple of TV screenwriters, and it would be quite hard. Most people can't really name a, a movie no. writer, and, and that, there's a reason for that, because mm-hmm. it's a director's medium. So it's um, been a very varied experience adapting my own work, and I probably wouldn't do it again. Really? No, I, I think it's... Um, if I, there's also something about the actual process. If I write a, 
page of dialogue in a novel, chances are it probably stay as it is in first draft because I like writing dialogue. Mm. If you write a page of dialogue in a script, I guarantee you'll do six or seven or eight drafts. Uh, I wrote three drafts of one day, and I must have written 30 drafts of the screenplay. That must be quite and, exhausting. And there are all kinds of things that you sort of think, well, I, I don't understand because I did create this. Mm. So why aren't you asking me? I mean, if you, if you wrote a book and then you went into the bookshop and found out that they you know, changed the ending and cut a third of it, you'd, be te- you'd call a publisher and you'd say something about it. But with a film, you just have to accept that that's part of the process. And actually, not only that it's part of the process, but that often often they're right. And that, for me, is the hardest thing about screenwriting, is knowing which battles to fight. Because I fought tooth and nail for things so that, to get them in the film. We must shoot that scene. We've got to keep that line. And seen it on screen, and it's rubbish. Really? Uh, because there are so many, there's an infinite number of variables of performance and of camera yeah. style and rhythm and audience response that you just can't predict. You know, what you should really do is make the film, go and see it, see its flaws, see what you've got wrong, then go back and do another draft. Like you but wouldn't. they don't let you do that uh, with a film. You know, you kind of, you don't really see where you've gone wrong until it's too late. Mm. And for that reason, I really love it, and I would hate the idea of not doing another film, especially I'd hate the idea of not doing any more television. But at the same time, it's, it's absolutely gut-wrenching. Yeah. And uh, very lucky, you know, that things have got made. But they've, I've, uh, it's so stressful, I can't tell you. And is it very difficult, and, you know, obviously one day was stellar and is yeah. still stellar and is yeah. one of the, you know, uh, it's been widely, widely praised um, and the film wasn't so widely no. praised. And how does that feel? How does that um, work in your uh, head? Because, yeah. you know, you've, had, yeah. you've created it. You know. It was quite a hard experience. Mm. I mean, it was a hard film to make and it was quite, a, and, and that, that feeling of what you really want is, well, so you're sort of in a no-win situation because if you, people come out and say, God, I'm much better than the book, then you, you, <laughs> you feel terrible. <laughs> and as is much more often the case, people come out and go, there's nothing, nothing near as good as the book. And you feel miserable about that as well. Mm. So you're kind of doomed, really. And um, my, my main regret, I suppose, is that we're not doing it kind of now in that it came out very quickly after the book and, and there was a very high expectation and we had to cut a lot of stuff, and it was it was more commercial and less kind of gritty and difficult than the book. You know that was actually really painful. Mm. And it was my other gr- regret about it coming out so quickly was that you know I I should have been enjoying the experience of having the book come out and do well, when in fact it was actually a very stressful couple of years because I went straight from the book into the process of mm. making the film, which was full of you know of, of uh, well it was it was tricky mm. it was tricky. But uh, I like lots of things about the film. Uh, I just wish we were doing it now, and I wish we were doing it as a six-part TV series, because we wouldn't have to cut so much, and we could we could just make different choices. I just want to ask you both what advice you would give to anyone thinking about moving into writing a novel, or writing in general. Probably writing a novel. <laughs> <laughs> God, and I, I think it sounds um, too stupidly simple, but to just sit down and do it, and it's it's a cliche, but I think a huge amount of writing a book is in the rewriting, so you need to have the actual words on the page before you go back. I mean, 
the crap I write when I'm doing the first draft is just and just write it knowing that nobody's going to look at it. Mm. Which I think it's hard because I think you've got this in, this critic sitting on your shoulder going, oh, "Shit, really? <laughs> that's good." And um, that really is crippling, and it makes you stop and makes you you know give up. But just write it thinking no one's going to read this. I'm going to rewrite it and rewrite rewrite it until it's good. Um, yeah. I think, uh, well, I don't think you should show work to people until you're pretty happy with it. I mean, you're never going to love it. You're always going to be critical of your own writing. It's like hearing your own voice. It's a kind of cringy. But you have to, at some point, you've got to take a deep breath and show it to people. Don't do it if it's work in progress. You know, mm. make sure it's as good as it's going to get. Um, rewrite and annotate on paper rather than on the screen because the screen can lull you into a full sense of security. Read, 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 read widely and read critically and constantly ask yourself, how do they do this? Take influence from everything, I mean, from newspapers and from film and television and as well as fiction. But I, I keep going back to the reading, really. I mean, mm. other books are kind of fuel. And uh, unless you're reading widely and with a kind of writer's mind, uh, there's no point. And yes, be brave, I think, about showing stuff to people. You know, at some point, if you're serious about being a writer, you're going to have to make that leap, mm. and it can be very nerve-wracking. But there are good reasons to write for yourself. It can be therapeutic, and uh, it can clear your head. But if you're serious about professional writing, you have to take a deep breath and get it out there. Thanks to David Nichols and Camilla Way in conversation for the Blend Sessions with Shivas Regal Scotch Whiskey. We'll be back next week for another evening with two more of our leading cultural collaborators. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts to automatically receive each episode. I've been your host, Theo Vandenbrucker, and you've been listening to The Blend Sessions. 